So we've been on a series the last month or so called Dress for Success, but we're going to take a pause for that for this week. We'll be back with it next week. And the reason for it is I wanted us to just spend some time around a table together just reminding ourselves or exploring this miracle that we've witnessed this morning in these lives. Um, if someone is in this room and they've never encountered the love of God and they've got no idea whether God is real, if you have experienced God being real in your life, I'm going to invite you in a moment to give a cheer that reflects something of what you've experienced, the joy of your experience, that if people are wondering whether this could be real or not, it's not just those at the front they're going to listen to, but it's your sound. So if Jesus has changed your life, if his love has blown you away, then after three, would you make a sound and a cheer that just helps anybody who's not sure understand that there's not just one or two crazy people at the front, but there's lots of us. So after three, if Jesus has impacted your life, whatever way you feel appropriate, why don't you cheer? One, two, three. Come on. So that was a bit different, wasn't it? <laughs> Beautiful. So what possibly could provoke normal, sane, rational people <laughs> to such a response? <laughs> you might have noticed on the t-shirts of those getting baptized, there was a Bible verse taken from a book in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this morning, just in these next few minutes, I'm going to do very little other than read that whole chapter to you. Those of you that have experienced the power and the love of God, I want you to see that you are able to bring your own knife and fork and feast on God's word, not just on Sundays when someone preaches it, but there's so much in here that just by reading it, taking your time, and digesting the words that you read, that you can be so filled with life-transforming truth. And you can do this every single day of the week. So I'm hopeful this morning that it won't just be something that will explain why that reaction happened or why people have done what you've seen them do this morning. I hope that what you're going to see, all of us together, is that there is truth in here that transcends anything that this world offers. So let's look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, then that's brilliant. I'm going to be reading from the, the NLT, the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, you might want to access this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, on your phone, and you can follow along with me. But if not, then the words 
No, they're not going to appear on the screen. Oh, okay. I've got them at the back doing that. They've got some tech issues. So you just have to listen to my slightly Welsh dulcet tones as I read this with you. Maybe huddle around a phone if you can and try and find 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from the New Living Translation. And it says this. You can just read the chapter and I'm going to help pause and just take into reflections on some of the things that we read. It says this, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will then have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We've just heard that our young people have returned from camping, literal camping, tents and canvas. I remember over the years experiencing many family holidays under canvas. And when the sun shines, it makes the tent too hot. And when the rain comes, it makes the tent too wet. And when the wind blows, it makes the tent too windy. But there's something lovely about camping. Yay. A mild enthusiasm ripple through the congregation. Over the years, I've had the privilege of setting up and leading quite a number of family camps. And there was one particular year when I had to leave just for one day this family camp to attend a family funeral. And as I was driving off the campsite, there were a few patches of grass where people had been camping for a few days that week, but they'd folded up their tents and had to leave even earlier than I was leaving from the site. And where the tents had been, there were patches of yellow squares. It was a mark of where they had been, but where they were no longer. And the Bible says that this body that you and I live in is like a tent. That one day, this tent will be wrapped up, this tent will be no longer, and those on earth we'll have some memories of where we once stood. And I give thanks to God for those memories, don't you? Those who have gone before us, those we've lost, some of you have lost loved ones during this last 18 months, and we give thanks that they've made their mark on this earth, and we give thanks for the memories that we have and we treasure of them. As I went to this family funeral, I had the privilege of saying a few words, so I used this illustration and I spoke about the mark that this person had made during their life. But whatever tent that you've had, whether the tent you've had feels like it's a tent that you wish was smaller, or it's a tent that's enlarged and you're happy with that, or it's a tent that's fit or not fit, whatever the tent of your human body, I want you to understand, tents are not places where ever meant to live forever. They're places that provide a space for us to stay in a place of transience. There's a context to our lives. And that is that our time on this earth is like camping at a campsite. But there is a true home in heaven. Amen. And one day, those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior will enter in to that eternal home they will know the joy of stepping into that permanent 
residence. Verse 2, it says, we grow weary in our present bodies. Anybody growing weary in their bodies? You know, I'm just approaching my 50s, so I'm still relatively young. But there are times when my, at home, my favorite chill-out position, posture, is to lay on the floor rather than on the sofa. I just love laying on the floor, and it's all good until I go to get up. And then suddenly, I remember that I'm maybe not in my 20s any longer. We grow weary in our present bodies. And, it, and the writer here says, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. So if you have an imagination that says eternity is going to be this floaty spirit in a cloud somewhere playing a metaphorical harp, then I want you to know that's not the picture that is painted from the Bible. The picture that's painted is that there's a new body that comes on those who go into eternity, a true home. While we live, it says in verse 4, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die and to get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. You know, I don't believe the Christian life should be one where we are ignoring our time on this earth and saying, let's just wait till that day that we get to heaven. I don't believe that that's an appropriate response to our lives because God has gifted us every day in this campsite. He's gifted us today. And we make our plans for tomorrow. We make our plans for the years ahead. But the Bible says that you and I are only promised today. And every day we wake up, we can start our day to say, God, I thank you for the gift of this new day. I thank you for the gift that you have treasured me with this day. And it may be raining outside. You may be going through a difficult time in your life. But we thank God that he has gifted us this day. But there's something in the writer of this 2 Corinthians 5 that knows that no matter how good or how bad the tent of our camping experience on this earth is, that there is a true home that's filled with life and filled with joy and filled with righteousness and filled with peace. And there's a longing that comes. Our tent is not the end. God himself, it says in verse 5, has prepared for us this. Isn't that amazing? He's not delegated it to someone else. It says God has himself prepared a home for us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come back. Jesus is actively involved in preparing a permanent residence for his people in the future. And it says, and I love this word, verse 5 goes on to say, and as a guarantee. How many of you read the small print of guarantees when you get your new products? No, we generally don't. We just look at the word, don't we? We look at the word guarantee, and we have some form of assurance. We might know something of our, of our consumer rights that we have so long that an electrical gadget should work, and we should be able to return it during that period. We like guarantees, but there is a mention here that there is a guarantee that confirms 
that our future is eternal, not temporary. It confirms that our destiny is not a tent, but it's a home. God himself has prepared for us, and the Holy Spirit has given us this guarantee. The Holy Spirit has given us this guarantee. The Bible talks about the three members of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Together, they're all God. God is in heaven. God the Father is in heaven. Jesus the Son is sitting at the right hand of the Father God. I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible teaches. And then Jesus said, when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit, where does he live? He lives in us. He doesn't live in this building. He doesn't live in cathedrals. He doesn't live in religious locations around the earth. The Holy Spirit has got no interest in buildings, to be honest. He's interested in people. The Bible says that you and I, we are like temples. Our lives are temples of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives in his temples. So when we come to Christ, when we give our lives to Jesus, we'll look more about what that means in a moment. But the Holy Spirit comes and he takes up residence and he lives within us. So it says in verse 6, so we are always confident. I like that word, always. I don't, I don't always have an always confidence, do you? I find that sometimes our emotions and our feelings can do different things to us. And some days we wake up and our lives are full of hope and life and vitality. And other days we wake up, get out of the wrong side of bed, have a bad hair day, well, some of you do, and all of those things, they sort of mount up, and um, we're not always confident. But the writer says here, so we are always confident that even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing, not seeing. Have you ever had anybody say to you, I'll believe it if I see it? Anybody ever said that? Of course, it's a very well-known phrase. But the Bible turns that saying on its head. It doesn't say, I'll believe it when I see it. It says, I'll see it when I believe it. That there's faith. We hold on to truth by faith. We are confident, always confident, by faith. Now, does that mean we don't have doubts? No, I have doubts. Some days I wake up and think, what if... All of this God stuff is just made up. Do you have those days? No, you religious lot. <laughs> Texting their friends like, our pastor has just said he has doubts. <laughs> On the phone to the regional leader of Elim, hey, just want to report our pastor, he says he has doubts. I have doubts. And doubts help us get stronger in our faith, actually. Because when we have doubts, we lean in and we explore and we trust. And when we trust, we discover that actually believing is seeing. That when we trust in God, that he fulfills. And the writer in verse 8 goes on to say, Yes, we are not just always confident, but we are fully confident. We would rather be away from these earthly bodies than than. For then we will be at home with the Lord. 
So whether we are here in this body or whether we are away from this body, our goal is to please him. Interesting word there, goal. Football teams, doesn't matter how good they are at tackling, how good they are at dribbling, how good they are at set pieces, how good they are at taking corners. It doesn't matter. What matters at the end of the day is the goals. And there's a danger that in church, in Christianity, that we play around with aspects of the game, but we forget the goals. And the writer here says that there's a goal. And the goal of the Christian life is not to be religious, not to go to church. It's not to engage in participation in worship teams. It's not to get involved in church programs. Those things are all well and good. But it says that there's a goal. And listen to what the goal is. This is the goal. It's to please him. Please him. That's it. But is he hard to please? Not as hard as you are. In fact, we need his help. He's been so gracious with us. He's given us his help so that we can, in every area of our lives, please him. Because our lives are a mess without Jesus. It's like we've been in a muddy field and we've rolled around in the mud and then we get an invitation into a beautiful, pristine palace. And we just know we're not in any condition to enter the palace. We're covered in mud. This will be an embarrassment. We can't go near him. We can't enter. God knows that. And he gives new clothes. He cleans us up. And he makes us worthy to be able to come into his presence. And in response, our goal is to please him. It says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. Now that might sound like our life has got two piles. On one of them, every time you do something good, you add something onto that pile. And every time you do something wrong, you add something to that pile. And so when we get to the end of this camping experience on this earth, when our tent is folded up and our life comes to an end, is it that God looks at these two piles and says, ah, your good is larger than your bad, therefore you can come in to your heavenly home. Is that how it works? It's not. It's not. In fact, the complexities of it are that if you have one item on that bad pile, you can't get in. And I've had many items on that bad pile. Everyone who walked through these waters this morning has had many items on that bad pile. So do you. The Bible says there's no one in this world that's righteous. In other words, has only got a good pile. There's only 
one person that's ever walked the face of the earth that can say that where there's zero on the bad pile. And his name is, say with a bit more enthusiasm, his name is Jesus. And it's amazing, you know. Jesus swapped with us. He's the only person that could do this. He swapped our mess for his righteousness. It's the greatest swap in the history of the world. Nothing is ever compared to it. If I said, would you like our four-bedroom terrace home and I'll swap you for your 20-bedroom mansion, that would be a good swap, wouldn't it? But this is better than that. This is a swap that says, I give all the mess of my life and I receive all the good of yours. That's the swap. It says that as children of the light, that swap changes everything. Everything. It's because that swap has happened that we now live our lives with the goal of pleasing him. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we are so enamored by the scale of what he has done for us that we will stand on our chairs on a Sunday and holler and cheer to let people know that Jesus is alive. Because he has done so much for us. What an amazing Savior. Verse 11 says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Let me just pause here a moment. Slight change of gear. Having a spectacular ministry. You know, over the years... I've seen some ministries that might fit into that category of spectacular. Feels like when a particular person prays for people, lots of people get healed. Feels like when they open their mouth, it's full of wisdom and truth. They're charismatic, they're gifted. And it's all too easy to assume that because they have that charisma and gifting, that it means that they're sincere of heart. I want you to know that's not necessarily the case. Because God's gifting is a grace upon our lives. And it's not earned. So if you see someone performing signs and wonders, it doesn't mean to say their heart is right. Now, I believe in signs and wonders. I believe in praying for the sick and seeing them heal. I believe in all sorts of wonderful things that the Bible says are gifts to the body of Christ. But the goal is not a spectacular ministry. The goal is a sincere heart. The goal is integrity. The goal is living our lives to please. The goal is living our lives faithfully. If you've been married to the same woman for 70 years, well done. Your faithfulness. 
And it doesn't matter that you've not had a preaching gift or a preaching ministry or you've not had something else that's been glamorous or seen out the front. Well done for your faithfulness and your trustworthiness. The church of Jesus Christ is filled with faithful heroes. And I want to say it that spectacular. Ministry is to bring glory to God, not glory to us. And the writer goes on to say in verse 13, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. If we're in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, it's Christ's love that controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, you see that swap I mentioned, was only made possible because Jesus gave his life on the cross. He didn't deserve to be there. I did. He didn't deserve to die. I did. And yet he took all that punishment so that he could take on all of my mess. But he didn't stay in the grave. Three days later, the earth began to shake. And that corpse was filled with the breath of heaven. And our Savior rose from the dead. And his resurrection brings hope and life today that as we've seen people go into the water and they go under the water, it's symbolic that they have died in Christ. And when they come out of the water, it's symbolic that they have been raised in resurrection life. When we, when we become Christians, we're not just modified, we're transformed. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised from them, for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. See, the Christian has been given a new heart, and this new heart sees things and sees people differently. We don't measure people by their wealth or their fame or their influence or the amount of friends they have or the social circles they hang out in. We don't measure people uh, as influencers by the number of people that like them on Instagram. We don't measure people by those things. We measure them by how God sees them. We measure them by who they are perceived to be, by the King of glory. And this morning, if you're sat here and you feel rubbish about your life, if you're watching online and you feel that life's at the end of your tether, I want you to know Jesus looks at you and he sees life and he sees hope and he sees joy and he sees goodness and he sees great days ahead. He sees an eternal hope in you that you will never be the same again if you will receive the swap of Jesus. It's the most amazing truth. Jesus made himself of no reputation, no riches. And yet we see in him this otherness, this revelation of another kingdom that he spoke of, the good news, a kingdom not of this world, a kingdom of life and righteousness, peace and joy. 
the writer of this chapter says in verse 17, this means, listen closely, it says this means that anyone, that's how inclusive the gospel is, anyone, you say, but there's an asterisk there with an exclusion, and that exclusion's got my name next to it. No, anyone. You say, you don't know the life I've led, Mark. No, anyone. You say, you don't know what I've messed up and done in my past. No, anyone. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. A new person. You've not been tweaked. You've not been upgraded. You've not been adapted. In fact, there was a rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, how can I come to the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. He says, how can I, a grown man, go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus says, you were born of your mother in the flesh, but you must be born in the spirit and born again. You see, we became new people when we come to Christ Jesus. New. You should have a second birthday. And your second birthday is more important than your first. Because your first marks the time that you started your journey on this earth on the campsite, but the second marks the time that you were born into eternity, into your true heavenly home. Maybe we should have changed our names when we became Christians. Maybe we should have a depot section at the end of our line when people respond to the gospel to say, I'm now a new person. I'm no longer John, my name's Mark. I'm no longer Saul, my name's Paul. I'm no longer Abraham, I'm Abraham. Because if anyone is in Christ, they have become. And that sense become means that it's happened, but it's happening. It's happened. The transformation has happened, but we're also being transformed into his likeness. Night has become day. The desert has become an abundant flowing river. And you have become a new person. And verse 18 says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us, us, turn to the person next to you, you say, us. Can you be a bit theatrical and maybe us? God has given us a task. Task. Something to engage with and do. And this is the task. Reconciling people to God. That's your task. That's your mission. Should you choose to accept Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I met a gentleman this week who's a trustee of lots of charities. He has responsibilities for lots of charities that he sits on the board of trustees of. I want you to know that you and I are trustees of a task. We're trustees of a truth. And that is that God wants everyone, everyone in the city of Exeter to know. As he goes on to say in verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Have you ever been an ambassador of a nation? I haven't. I remember the nearest I felt that I had to it was attending a conference in Hungary a number of years ago, sitting around this really large board table and discovering that there were just two people from every nation um, that had been invited to come to this event. And on the front of my nameplate, which pointed out to face everyone else, it said, Mark Pugh, Great Britain. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. I'm speaking on behalf of 67 million people <laughs> at this conference. What a responsibility. What an honor. What a privilege. Now, of course, I wasn't speaking on behalf of 67 million people. But there are ambassadors of nations that do. They go with the instructions of their leaders in their home nation to carry their message. They go with the authority of the nation that sent them. They go with the resources of the nation that sent them. doesn't matter where they are. They're representative of another kingdom. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ, when we plead, come back to God. As an ambassador of Christ Jesus, speaking on his behalf, can I say to anybody that's watching online or in this room this morning, come back to God. Come back. He wants to be reconciled with you. But guys, I'm not the only ambassador in the room. You're ambassadors. And you are stewards of a message. The reconciliation of all things. And what message are we going to declare to the people of Exodus? Come back to God. What are we going to declare to the people of Devon? Come back to God. What are we going to declare to the people of the Southwest? Come back to God. Why don't we let a sound go out from this place now? Because you'll never be safer than when you are when you're gathered with hundreds of other Christians. Why don't we just let our prophetic voice go out from this place right now and make a declaration over the area we live? And why don't we, with one voice, say, come back to God? Three, two, 
one. Let's pray. God, I pray that anybody here this morning that's not experienced you, pray they'll come back to you. I pray that those watching online that don't know you will come back to God. Pray that our families will come back to God. Pray that those who live in our households will come back to God. I pray that those who live in our streets, our families, Lord, our communities, our cities, our towns, our villages, our nation will come back to God. That we'll recognize the best this world offers is a campsite, but there's a true home. The very last verse says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm going to give a clear, simple, but profound invitation for you to come back to God. I'm not asking what your religious affiliation has been. I'm not asking how well you've done in life. I'm asking you to recognize that God has been outside of your tent. And maybe pride has stopped you from unzipping that tent and to receive him. The Bible says if we will confess our sins, he is faithful, he's just, he forgives us. So I'm going to pray a really simple prayer. And I'm going to invite those who want to come back to God to pray this prayer. You can pray it in your mind. God will hear your thoughts. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I thank you that you've always loved me. And you gave your life on the cross because you love me that much. I'm sorry I've left you outside of my tent. Please forgive me. Everything I've done wrong, I confess it before you. And I ask that you will remove it from my life. And I thank you that you give me your life in its place. Thank you for reconciling me to you. And I come back to you now. In Jesus' name. Just while everybody remains praying, their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer and you're in the room, can I just invite you to lift your hand so I can see it? When I've seen it, I'll just acknowledge it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? If I've not seen your hands, then please just lift it a bit higher. If you're watching online this morning, you pray that prayer. You can let our online team know. They'll be delighted to pray with you. I'm not going to call out the people who lifted their hands, but I am about to lead a prayer. And the church, in a moment, are going to celebrate the joy of you coming back to God. Just one final time. Because I know we've all been there, haven't we, where this wrestles within us. And we just know our heart is beating and there's something going on, but we just don't understand it. But 
I want you to, I want you to know what's going on is God is calling you back home. Yes. So just one final time. If you pray that prayer and you haven't raised your hand yet, just lift it so I can see it. Thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Jesus, church, would you pray for all of those people now who've prayed this prayer? Jesus, we thank you for people coming back to you. Thank you for those young people on this weekend away that have come back to you. Thank you for those in the room this morning that have come back to you. Thank you for those online that come back to you. Thank you for those in the first service who've come back to you. This is a good day for heaven. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a day of partying. This is a day of celebration. This is a day where eternal destinies are secured because of the grace of God. Welcome to your second birthday. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to your true heavenly father. Welcome to the family in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give a cheer to all of those who prayed that prayer today. Yes. Amen. Welcome.